discount brokers and now you have crypto and you got fees going to zero and everything else, AI, machine learning, all of that is going to make our business a lot more competitive and is going to force advisors to specialize, right? The value of advice will go up. The cost of products will go into zero, but you'll have to be more human. You're going to have to really sit with people, look them in the eye and understand what their fears are. to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Tyrone Ross, is one of the most energetic, driven, focused people that I have ever gotten the chance to talk with on this show. Similar to recent guest Henry Shuck, he is completely focused, has an infectious amount of energy, and he is focusing that energy towards financial education, financial literacy, particularly for folks like him that grew up in lower socioeconomic households with low financial literacy and helping families build wealth. We talk about the role of race. We talk about the role of class in building wealth. We talk about how he empowers his clients, he educates his clients, and the role that he believes cryptocurrency can play in a financial portfolio. I love talking with Tyrone. I think you're going to love listening to him. Here is Tyrone Ross. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Ty, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I'm excited to be talking with you. Thank you for having me. Um, this, should, this should be a lot of fun. I'm excited. I'm fired up. Yeah, I, uh, I'm always fascinated by characters that are committed to the financial education of others. I, I feel like I fall in a similar camp. It's something that, um, you know, interests me, but people come at it from so many different backgrounds. For me, um, you know, I, I have this distinct memory of sitting on the couch with my dad when I was really little and watching Wall Street Week hosted by Louis Rukeyser, where they talk about stocks. And I can't even like remember what was being discussed, but that was like my first entry point into this and then got away from it for a while, came back. And, and now it's something that I'm, you know, very intellectually stimulated by. Talk, tell the listeners a little bit about your background in coming to investing, coming to the world of finance and how that influences the way you advise and coach and consult with other people. Right. So my dad was literally illiterate when I was that age. So he couldn't read and write when I was small. So I didn't learn anything about the stock market until I was 26. So, and that was when I walked onto Wall Street for the first time. And I was, for all intents and purposes, financially illiterate myself and was really unaware of stocks, bonds, cash, just that, whatever. I mean, I've told this story innumerable times, but I walked right past the New York Stock Exchange, didn't know what it was, right? So, um, I didn't I didn't have that luxury, which is why I fight so hard for exposure and access, um, because it's damaging when people are 26 years old and they haven't been exposed to those type of things. Um, and I'm I'm super privileged and lucky. Like I'm literally lucky. That was luck. Um, my mother would say it's not luck. It was her prayer and, and, and God's blessings, which it was. But I was very lucky. And every young black male doesn't get that opportunity. And I think we are in a time now where people understand black folk don't get that opportunity, period. So as a unicorn, um, I have a responsibility to bring light to that. And that's why I fight for financial education, economic empowerment, financial literacy, you know, getting into schools as early as possible, early financial education. You know, my nephews are one and two. 
and financially are more set up than I was at 26. So, and that's only because again, I know better now so I can change the trajectory of my family, but I had to be the first over the wall, so to speak. Yeah, so just a couple months ago, we interviewed Ben Hunt and we started off talking about this notion that, you know, in almost any profession, but particularly in finance, there's this jargon, there's this, you know, overly complex arrangement of terms that can be put in simpler ways, but whether it's to intimidate, whether it's to exclude, whether it's to like, frankly, just like show in groups, out groups, you know, there's definitely a racial component, but there's also just like a, a class component to it of like you're in the in group or you're not in the in group. And that language is used to piece that apart. And you're really committed to just like me, like trying to strip away as much of that jargon as possible. Well, let's be very clear. We are dealing currently with the race issue in this country. Yeah. When we start dealing with the class issue, watch out. I've been saying it forever. We have a bigger class issue in this country. Believe it or not, the class issue in this country is ridiculous because you start to getting to dealing with all poor people and poor is not a color. It's a condition. And there are roughly 140 million poor people in this country based on the poor people's campaign and the studies that they've done. So when we start digging into class here, and how there's just a group of people who live so much more differently and have more access than others. And COVID is kind of letting you get a good glimpse into the class issues here. They're being exposed. But when we deal with that, watch out. Totally. Yeah, that was one of the crazy things with, with COVID was, I can't remember who it was, but there was like some, you know, uber wealthy character that was like, we're all in this together, like sheltering at home. And it was literally like a, a picture of him on his yacht. And it's like, oh, guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. That was yeah. it. I was like, we are, we are not the same, my friend. Yeah, no, not at all. Like you're <laughs> over the ocean in a $250 million boat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That just, that's just proof. That's just proof. So, so, so taking us back to the exposure element though, and, and the way that this gets, you know, enacted in, in kind of your daily life, how have you translated what you've seen from, from getting to spend that time being the unicorn, being lucky? Like what are the programs? What are the steps that you, you, you survey the land? It's like, okay, this is where I can kind of push my efforts to have the greatest potential impact. So one was mentorship. I've been in the community doing this for 18 years. So I have a group of young men that I mentor. I have a group chat with them. I mentor them. So I'm very big on mentor, very big on sponsorship. So there's a couple of programs, NJ Leap here in New Jersey that I, you know, help mentor. I do a financial literacy summer camp with the kids and then incoming freshmen and outgoing seniors. And they just started something with you know, middle school kids as well. I constantly visit homeless shelters. I go to orphanages. I just, you know, I'm constantly in the community giving back, going to where there's very poor impoverished areas and donating my time. So that's the personal part. On the business part, I leverage my platform, platforms like this, my Twitter, the work I do with Altruist, the Human Advisor podcast, my own business 401, where half of my profits from that business go to funding my endowment at Georgia Tech for first-generation college students like myself, um, even though I was a first-generation high school graduate as well. So I'm, I'm, it, I'm of it, so I can talk to it and I live it. Like it's not just, you know, it's something that I've been doing every day, but now with the expansion of a platform and having people who are willing to listen and really prominent people like an Anthony Pompliano to have me on his podcast or Meb Faber or Josh Brown or any of these people to listen, um, it just amplifies the voice, but that's really what it is. And it's doing podcasts like this. I, I take a lot of calls, literally any and every call, a DM, a message. 
about, you know, Tyrone, how do I do this around financial literacy? How do we speak to advisors about this? How do we get into schools? Um, and I feel like I have a really unique lens on that, that to be honest, most people in our business don't have simply because I get proximate. I can look in the eyes of the people who need one, because I come from it. My parents are, you know, they would, together 40 something years, we got their first joint bank account together, right? So I still have to walk them through a bank statement and get them to understand that. So I have a very ground level view, but also I have 14 years on Wall Street and I have a, a, a nice network of people that we all look at things from different lenses, but I think my lens is, is very much intact and in tune with the people because I go to them. Our business doesn't go to people. We like to build it and say, oh, well, it's here. Why can't you find it? But I go right to the people, look them dead in the eye in that community center, in that social service place. I go into that school where I have to be escorted to the classroom by police and then escorted out of the classroom by police. Like that's where I need it. And that's where I go. And I'm confident in saying there are very few in my business that would be willing to do that. And I was complimenting you before the, this recording on, on the energy. And it was so funny earlier today, someone on my team was asking me a question about burnout. And in any sort of, so you got creator on the shirt there as, as one of the multitude of identities you got, but the, yeah. you know, in creative pursuits, what I've found is that if there is meaning imbued on whatever the work is, whatever the manifestation is, even if it's the kind of most mundane, repetitive, least, you know, intellectually stimulating part of the work, I can kind of power through it because it's imbued with meaning. And I don't, I don't necessarily personally suffer a ton of burnout. There's probably also patterns from my own background as an athlete that's translated into just knowing how to show up to practice, knowing how to put the work in. I'm curious, I'm curious what your framework is because it can be a tough slog too. Like, like trying to make change and, and you know, hitting your head against the wall sometimes can be draining if you don't have the right mental framework for that work. I mean, I, I always said that athletes have a tremendous amount of leverage in the workplace because we're used to training a whole lot for a very minute time of performance. And we're used to being very regimented and we're used to being coached and we're used to being teammates and we're used to failing a lot. Like all of that stuff that they have you trained through in corporate America, we come with that. And oh, by the way, you will never in your life outwork me. Like it just, it just, it's not gonna happen. I'm always gonna do one more than you because that's in my DNA. Add that to the fact that I was born with a PhD, poor, hungry, and driven. So those of us that come from nothing, that literally got it out the mud, good luck. <laughs> just, you, you, it's, it's no shock because we don't know what privilege is. We know what sacrifice is our whole life. So whatever the layman or, or the person it has means considers hard, we don't because we realize what happens if we fail. People don't eat. Rent doesn't get paid. Lights doesn't stay on. Food doesn't hit the table. So when you always have that scarcity in your bloodline, that's PTSD, right? I, you know, I, and I tell people this all the time is that, again, there are other cheat codes that I have as well. I don't have a family. I don't have, a, you know, a wife and kids. So I can go nonstop. But the main reason I go is because of what I've come from. And the scarcity and the fear of ever going back to that is enough where you just don't have a shot. You, will, you just don't. So when you come, when you're born with that degree, right, when you are driven to the point where your pleasure meets other people's pain, I am absolutely going to work through this. I don't know what vacation is anyway. I've never been on it. I've never been to Disney. I've never been to the south of France. So all I know is grind and hustle. So if that's all I know, good luck pulling me out of that. And then 
you you combine that with the the you know kazen is the japanese call it, right constant learning and growth now you're dealing with an individual that is literally a bulwark or stalwart and being able to get people to learn um and grow and inspire and motivate and push people to more um and for me like burnout isn't an option burnout is what my parents probably should have went through with less than you know a high school education between the two of them raising two kids my mother pregnant at 17 my dad comes to this country literally with nothing and can't read and write that's burnout this is easy you know what i'm saying so when you got that in your bloodline there's no such thing as burnout respect you acknowledge like ptsd the stress of of that kind of environment and what i'm also curious about clearly clearly you have done at least the requisite work to acknowledge that that is is there and Mm -hmm. in certain ways come to terms with it i've i've just frankly never been uh you know someone that that went to therapy or kind of went through anything like that i've you know constructed with my own mental models my chip on my shoulder. I, the time I got cut, the time that someone said that one thing that one time in order to kind of stimulate some of the energy to go prove what I got to prove. How do you think about what I hear is just a full embrace of whether it's the chip on your shoulder or or the way that you've described that kind of mental model that you've built for yourself. Like I almost Mm -hmm. like, I hear these people. It's like, you know, you gotta, you know, quiet the mind and let go. Like, like there's, I don't know if they're necessarily in tension with themselves. I don't even necessarily know what the question is that I'm asking here as I kind of go through it. But this, like, I always say, like, I, I want to hold on to that edge. I want to hold on to that chip on the shoulder that I have because I know that that's going to animate me. Yeah. And at the same time, there's like this school of thought that kind of, you know, coaches for the opposite or suggests to the opposite that I, I don't know. I can't connect to. I'm curious if you have a similar experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that, right? Quieting the mind and meditation and all that stuff, which plays a role, right? I walk a lot. I think a lot. My mentor... I have a couple of mentors, but, you know, I have a mentor, a super duper successful financial advisor at Merrill, always on the list and all that other stuff. And he was like, you'll, yes, that you'll always have that, that scarcity, that grind, that hunger, but you have to also learn how to turn on abundance. You'll never fully be successful until you do that. So it was, you got to understand breaking that is a very hard thing to do because of the things that I've seen, the things that I've witnessed, the things that I've gone through. It's a very hard thing to do. But when you start to realize is by, by opening yourself up and becoming more, you realize everything that you ever want comes out of you. So you develop and you grow. And as you grow, all those things that you were taught when you have nothing that you should have just naturally come to you by embracing, one, that you struggle. Two, I need to grow out of that by learning, by reading, by networking, right? By, be, by, by working on my communication and my EQ and all these things. And then lastly, and probably the most important is now I use all of that together. I cobble it together and then create a life that's my own. And then I'm uniquely me. When I'm uniquely me, I'm the best in the world at being me. Right. And, and that's what a lot of people struggle with is they try and be other people. And I'm guilty of that as well. When I was on Wall Street, I was trying to be my mentor and I was trying to be, you know, the million dollar producer and all this other stuff. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to go independent. And I'm going to be myself and I'm going to bet on me. And when I'm operating 100 percent as me, there's nobody in the world better at being me. Amen. That's a helpful framework also that you can pass on to clients, that exact same type of yeah. framework that'll help them, you know, set the right amount of assets aside, make these prudent long-term type of decisions. Um, on one of the websites as I was prepping, 
uh, altruist.com. When your financial advisor does their best work, your money can grow up to 3% more per year. And the exact type of you know, advice that you just gave is, is part of the framework by what, for the reason why a human advisor can outperform a robo-advisor, a digital mm -hmm. platform that's just going to make all the right kind of allocations algorithmically. Can you talk a little bit more about the role that you foresee it playing? Because you are also, you know, very technologically savvy. You've got the podcast, you're into yeah. crypto. Like, you are aware of these kind of secular forces. Yeah, 100%. Um, three things that are really important when I work with a client or I onboard a new client. One is which, again, thank God, going back to my mentor, he said, you'll have longevity in this business. Cause I was really good at sales. I'd love the cold call and do all of that. He's like, if you are going to morph into being a financial advisor and being a really good financial advisor, getting people to trust you, he's like, you're going to do a couple of things. But the main one is, is this, he said, you'll answer the questions people don't think to ask. He said, if you always ask the questions people don't think to ask and then have an articulate answer, specifically to them he goes you'll never want for clients and man was that true and what that means though when he broke it down is he's like that means you listened right that means that you asked a lot of open-ended questions that means that you spoke less and he would say when you're in the meeting if you speak the most you lost let the client speak so that was that's one part the other part is i asked two questions upon onboarding one what is your first relationship? What is your first memory of money, which we spoke about, right? Yours is, you know, a, a, a safe, something that you remember, abundant memory. Mine is scarcity. The other thing is, what is your current relationship with money right now? Like when you think about money, what pops into your head right away, right? So now I get a good feel of where that client is and where they're coming from, because a lot of those habits manage how you manage your financial life as an adult it starts to manage through and it, it also my clients will tell you i'm a stickler on the basics is the mortgage the light the gas the car and they're like tyrone relax but the, but again that's where i come from based on my own scarcity i just want to make sure that the basics are covered i'm very big i hammer budgeting personal finance right the basics of financial planning we can always scale that up we can get you to a trusted state attorney at some point but let's just really focus on the foundation so through discount brokers and now you have crypto and you got fees going to zero and everything else ai machine learning all of that is going to make our business a lot more competitive and it's going to force advisors to specialize right the value of advice will go up the cost of products will go into zero but you'll have to be more human you're gonna have to really sit with people look them in the eye and understand what their fears are their concerns really what is it that you know do i have to take care of a sick parent do I have a disabled child? Am I concerned about inheriting a certain amount of money and I know nothing? Am I the family bank, the first to make it in the family? And now I have a responsibility to manage this wealth or these new riches and then also the expectation of everyone in my family saying, give me. That's where a financial advisor really starts to add value and it has nothing to do with the stock market because you can't control that anyway. What's your advice for some, someone in that situation? Because like, frankly, and this is like embarrassing, the only kind of framework that I have for that is I remember like watching Ballers and there was an episode where there was kind of like that type of dynamic happening for the athlete and all these kind of like characters that were coming in and, and the, the challenges associated. Like what, what's your advice to those type of characters? That, that is the family bank? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and, and yeah, a lot of, a lot of athletes deal with that. Um, and, and a lot of folks I know in general, whether it's really good tech jobs or whatever, a couple of things. I think the first thing is you have to be very, you have to know your families and you have to be careful about what you share. Right. And you also have to be very careful about how you present yourself. So if you always coming around with new trinkets and jewelry and cars or whatever, Oh, well you got it. Give me. Right. So you have to be very careful about that. And you do want to provide, and you have to set parameters around that. Um, and I've had to do that. Um, and then, and again, we're not talking about multi-millions, but you just still have to, you got to let folks know what's available and what's not. The other part is trust. You have to trust the people around you, right? Your agent, your advisors or whatever, because if they are the gatekeepers and you say, I don't know, call my accountant, or I don't know, call my advisor. And the advisor's like, nope. Right. They can vet all of that for you and make sure that the money is going to where it's supposed to go. So I think that that trust is a, is a really big piece. And, and overall, I just feel like the more knowledge that we can provide folks that ultimately, again, this is go back to financial education, why it sucks so bad in this country and why 60 percent of the population is financially illiterate is because you can't get financial advice in the snapshot right in the moment I'm in college graduate, high school graduate, first round draft pick, last draft pick of the NFL, whatever it is, I should be able to get financial advice for my information, I mean, for my situation right now, like on demand, on an app or whatever, I am da 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 da, and then it pops up. We have that capability. It is amazing we don't have that available. I'm trying to work on building that. But so I feel like if you know, if you're able to get all of the education and things that you need, while you were in college, Mr. or Mrs. Athlete or Mr. or Mrs. Entertainer or whoever. And then th those roots started in high school. Now, when you get that money, you already have a plan in place. And the family has been educated along with you. But the problem is I'm 22. Now you give me 22 million. <laughs> what? I'm just good at dribbling a basketball. I have no idea what, you know, I'm good at singing or I can rap or whatever it is. So... I think those three components are really huge, but the main one is trust. You got to trust the people around you so you can offload it and go do what you do. And then all of the hanger ons will have to go through someone that's just a gatekeeper. Yeah. Trust is the name of the game in any service that you're providing. Not, not just, I mean, the people in your circle that are working with you, but also yeah. the folks that you choose to partner with, like that is, that, that's an art. And I, I'm imagining that's why you were so good at cold calling from an early age, because you had that yeah. capacity to engender trust from, from the jump. Yeah. I, I, well, one of the things that I always believed in was making people laugh right away. Like soon as I got on the call, I would try and make them laugh and I wouldn't, I would memorize my pitch so I wouldn't be reading off a script. And I would engender that trust because I would never, I would quote unquote pitch because I had to get my pitch out, but I never sold anything. I would be willing to call you back two, three, four times, but hey, just want to make an introduction, introduce you to myself. This is my firm. This is what we do. We'd love to have a conversation with you in the future, right? Um, all right, fine. Put my name on a, you know, whatever, and you follow up. But yeah, I think if you can engender trust over the phone, Right. You don't even see it in person. One thing going door to door, whatever. You can tend to trust over the phone. Now you have you really building the foundations of communication. Right. Speaking clearly, concisely, being able to paint a picture over the phone, being able to create emotion over the phone, being able to listen over the phone, the power of the pause.
and being uncomfortable with that, right? Like once you have all that down, you take that now, you put that on stage, you can put that on a podcast, you can put that on, and now you're, you are top tier when it comes to communications. So yes, a lot of it is the power. And, and that's the other thing is like the confidence in which what you speak, whatever that is, people trust that, right? You could, we've seen it a thousand times, somebody on YouTube ranting about penny stocks, but they're confident about it. People are like, oh, he must know what he's talking about. But you can have confidence about everything. And the example that I use, again, and, and just take the religion out of it, the Bible is the most practical book in the world. But you look at what, when God looked at Saul, Saul was like, I'm killing every Christian I could see. And God was like, you know what? I could use that ambition, <laughs> right? Like, I can use that. But we just got to get him to change his focus a little bit, right? So once you have that foundation, that confidence, even misdirected, and cold calling wasn't the best way to reach people. It was very evasive, right? You're like calling people at horrible times and being inconvenienced, you know, being an inconvenience. But if you can kind of take that and channel it where you say, listen, I'm only calling you for your good. I feel like I have some value here. Can I talk to you later? People, people respected that. Um, and if you do that enough, again, you, you could be, you know, you could be really successful at translating those skills into all things. And you're just getting the reps at 100%. sending out the message. Like you're, you're, you're battle testing your frameworks 100%. and your phrases. 100%. Like those reps matter. I have a, 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 a thing that I use with my startup founders when I work with them is RFN It's reps for nothing. And I asked them how, how high was your RFN this week? How many things did you do? Did you do? that literally showed no return, that you got no immediate, you know, value on, but over time, that chop at the oak, right? You keep chopping at the oak, you keep, and your fingers bleed, but you keep chopping, you keep, and you don't look to see if the tree is gonna fall, but you start to hear that noise of it, and you just keep, like, those, that's RFN. Right on. One other element of, so you referenced the AI and the no fee apps and all these things that are applying pressure to the industry of financial advice, the industry of financial services. Another one of these is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And there's a, you know, a, a vast gap between the kind of perspectives that different financial advisors would take. So, so I know financial advisors still here in Pittsburgh that would snort at you if you even reference that as kind of a viable asset to be possessing. And you, you kind of fall in the opposite position. So within these financial circles where there are other folks that are more skeptical, what do your conversations look like to those type of characters as you're trying to translate it and explain it to people? Really great question. I think one of the things that, and again, I don't, I am an advisor, so I don't beat up on financial advisors that don't get it, although they better get it soon because they're going to get fired. But what I try and do is help them understand a couple of things. One, I know financial advisors don't want to get sued, right? They don't want to get fired and they want to get paid. I get it. Getting paid right now on crypto it's hard to do, right? Um, it's a very hard thing to do and to do it in a way where you aren't eventually going to end up in the crosshairs of a regulator. Very hard to do. So I kind of speak to those things. Understanding the asset class, and yes, I think it's an asset class. Those who don't, we can talk about that too. But those who don't think it's an asset class, and be very clear, it is highly skeptical right now. It's speculative. I explain it as a long dated call option on a store of value. Just frame it like that. Yes, it's highly speculative. So then I try and speak to the, their concerns, which is the volatility, which is the market manipulation, which is fundamental. How do I value this thing? 
Now, there are models for that, that really good companies are doing Delphi Digital, Coin Metrics, so on and so forth, but advisors can't even get there yet. So just basically trying to get them to understand, all right, the scarcity, there's only 21 million, right? The, the, the stock to flow model that's out there, right? Kind of, some advisors can kind of wrap their head around that. It's the best model, not really, but it's a good model for financial advisors to wrap their heads around the divisibility of it, right? The breakdown into Satoshi's, all those things, trying to keep it very basic so an advisor can understand, okay, well, the client has, wants to have a conversation about gold. Maybe there's a digital gold conversation here, maybe. But what I just try and do is make it very simple for financial advisors and get them to understand how it actually works and how it will work in their workflow. There's a younger demographic that has an interest in it, what the basics of it is, and address some of those concerns that, to be honest, financial media has really done a bad job of explaining. So I just try and do that, answer a lot of questions. And whether they choose to invest or not, that's fine. But as fiduciaries, you have a responsibility to be conversant, right? Like, if you don't like it, that's fine, but you should be conversant. And that's such a good point because what you articulated right at the beginning of that answer is career risk, right? Like, I'm, I'm, am I just exposing myself to a lawsuit or a loss of my license or some sort of, you know, cataclysmic thing because I like give something a thumbs up or acknowledge it? And mm -hmm. that just, you know, the whole risk reward of that choice, it, it yes. just topples it over from the advisor perspective. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I think that part of the conversation that you're really alluding to is there's the opposite career risk of folks that have decided that this is something that they want to take seriously, that they, they need someone who can bring, you know, intellectual horsepower and understanding of finances generally to be able to figure out how this fits together with the other things. It's not, you know, you know, sell everything and just invest into a single asset yes. class. That's never, ever the piece of advice. Right. Absolutely. No, it never is. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a compliment to a portfolio. Again, you can, put it under alts or commodities, however you want to label it. But, and again, you can't define Bitcoin. It's, it's undefinable. You can't. It's, it's just its own thing, which makes it amazing. It's like the best way I've heard it described is like, once you see Bitcoin, you can't unsee it. Like it's, it's just there and however you feel, you feel. But I think the conversation needs to be had because when you look at where payments are going, where you look at where data is going, where you look at where the internet is going, the only thing that's missing, as Jack Dorsey says, right, is a currency that's native to the internet. Bitcoin was tested on the internet, built on the internet, distributed over the internet, is worth taking a look at, right? And just simply, again, being conversant. Whether you want to integrate it into your practice or not, it's a whole nother story. Um, and having built a full practice around crypto, I understand the challenges there. But having, you know, as you go younger, right, and we are looking at what a 30 trillion, 20 trillion dollar transfer of wealth over the next two, three decades, there's a younger group of, of clients, right, folks that are your age and the young, they have an interest in it. They want to know, like, what is this? What, what is it? What does it mean? And the returns have been crazy. And yes, it's only 11 years old and you don't have a really good track record. It had never gone through a recessionary environment until right now right? A macro environment that has been stressful. It's performed decently well under that. Um, so I think it's starting to garner attention when you start to see some of the bigger names get focused on it. But for four advisors, it's simply to be conversant. I'm never, oh, you got to, no, you don't just be conversant because you will get questions. And by the way, your clients do own it away from you.
Um, another part uh, on that, it's, it's so interesting that you, you acknowledge the kind of classism that, that's at play here and, and, and the conversation that needs to happen there. One of the most interesting things that I, I, I never really hear people discuss is this notion of almost like being, it, it strikes me as patronizing towards folks in lower, lower socioeconomic statuses, whether it's the notion of only an accredited advisor can make the choice to invest in a startup or some mm-hmm. of these other kind of frameworks that almost like, you know, on their face sound good when, when you like kind of first hear it. But as you think about it more, you know, there, there's all sorts of other kind of frivolous ways that folks can spend their money, whether it's, you know, a lottery ticket or things like this that are completely legal. And yet in, you know, putting money towards uh, someone's startup is outside the bounds of, of what's possible. Um, what's kind of your take on that element of how it, it's segmented who can invest in what? There, there you go. That's the class issue, right? It's so, and, and any financial advisor would tell you, folks may be accredited, <laughs> but it don't necessarily mean the knowledge comes along with that 250000 a year or that million dollar liquid net worth right? Like, it's just, it's, it's not a thing. They don't, that doesn't correlate. So I do think if we relax that a little bit, now you're giving more of the population, roughly 50% that don't own equities an opportunity into these, into the stock market, into these private deals and being able to have access. Just said before, it's just access. You simply want to give these people access. The issue is access has to come with, and again, I have three E's, exposure, education, empowerment. The exposure has to come with an education. Now, after we give you those two, we have to empower you. So now what does that mean? That is ongoing education. That means giving you the right platform to do it. And oh, by the way, financial advisors should be layering in this pro bono type of service to those that let that segment of the population so that they can get ongoing advice, whether that's telefinance, whether that's, you know, uh, on mobile, you know, demand videos on here's, here's what you just did. You bought a, you know, a small private allocation or whatever, blah, 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 you know, and it's just 30, 40, 60 seconds of an education on what it means. Um, that should be happening. And it doesn't mean just strip the, you know, strip that away, but take it away or loosen it. And then also, add an education component so that now people can get exposure, education, and empowerment. And I think we'll start to give more people access as we start to rise. We'll start to pull some people up with us. Not everybody, because that's it's going to take a lot. But we can pull more people up. Then those people can pull more people underneath them. And then now we're starting this funnel of people starting to help one another. But it's going to have to start with the people who have the most. And it's not, because our capitalists aren't charitable. <laughs> we need more charitable capitalists. We don't necessarily have that right now. As we get more, then we'll be all right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm optimistic and hopeful about the work that you're doing to help play a role in making that change. Um, I, I'm really grateful that you, you took some time to come on the podcast today and talk with me, Tyrone. Uh, for folks that want to learn more, follow along with the work that you're doing, where can we direct them? Yeah, before I answer really quickly, thank you. I always I always make sure that I let folks know when they leverage their platform for me and let me get on. And I'm truly appreciative for more reasons than one. My background, the people that I fight for, people lending me their megaphone matters. So that's a blessing and I appreciate you. You didn't have to do this. And I know you've had 
you've had some big dogs on your on your show, so make it time for little old me. I appreciate it. Um, so the best place to go, I, I live on Twitter at tr four hundred one. Also, the best place after that is my website tyroneross.io. Um, all of my contact information, all the podcasts, interviews, articles, everything is on there. Um, so that, that those are the best two places to to dig into what it is that I'm doing. Beautiful. We're going to link that in the show notes. It's in the podcast app where you're listening to this. Goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast for every episode of the show. We'll make sure all those links are available there. Tarun, before I let you go, I want to give you the mic one more time and have you issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. I'm glad you said this because I've been saying this on all of my platforms. It's the perfect place to say it as well. I implore every single person, and I'm talking to you, the person that listened to this point, I was going to cut this off. We all have a responsibility right now to find our leader. Our nation is void of leadership. That young mind comes to your house for dinner. They play soccer with your daughter. They are in your school. They, you pass them on the way to work. We have a responsibility, all of us right now, to identify, inspire, motivate, and undergird the mind that is going to lead us to better and brighter tomorrows. So I encourage every single person, look within your network. They might be in your house. You might be sitting across from that teenager or that 20-year-old or that 5-year-old. Look at them. Look at their genetic code. What are the prompts that they do? Right? I said this on Twitter. Are they playing soccer with their friends at the league and they're down 17 nothing? but that kid is still clapping and still inspiring their teammates, still encouraging the kid that fell down? That's a leader. Find that kid. Give them everything they need. Give them all the resources, right? Same thing in high school. When these kids want to lead and mobilize and strategize, we got to support them. So I implore every single person in this time right now, go out and let's go find our leader. And once you find them, like what, what you're saying in terms of having that ongoing mentorship with them, that's, yeah. that's the key of it. Keep it, 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 it. Literally, it's available now, like by the phone. Sure, it's great to see the person yeah. in person, maybe COVID, like, you know, do it from yeah. a safe distance. But even just checking in with some degree of regularity, yes. that, that goes so far when you're so young and impressionable. 100%. Put, the, put the, you know, the books of the greatest leaders in front of them. Have them watch videos all these other things, get them inspired to see a Dr. King, right? A Mahatma Gandhi, a Barack Obama, whatever it is, whoever you feel like is very inspirational and get them in front of the TV or the screen to see these type of people. Cause what, what immediately is going to happen is they're going to see themselves and they're going to say, if I see it, I can be it. And that's, and that, and that's what, you know, the action step that I would give folks right now. We need that more than anything right now. Amen. I love it. Tyrone, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate you. Love and light. We just went deep with Tyrone Ross. Hope you're not there. Has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. If you enjoyed this conversation, we have had a ton of past guests talk either finance and or cryptocurrency. I've linked them below in the show notes for this episode at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash blockchain or goingdeepwithaaron.com slash finance. Great interviews abound. Morgan Housel, Anthony Pompliano, Brent Bishore, Andy Ratcliffe, and many, many more. Check them out. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.